1: Well, hello, Raw Feeders. I'm Dee mercer Moffat, CEO of Raw Dog Food and Company, where your pet's health is our business. And we're friends like my friend, Dr. Jasek. Well, we don't let friends feed kibble, even if the veterinary profession says you should. Right. And they don't teach them anything else.
0: And they even recommend horrible kibbles that are, you know, hydrolyzed protein and nothing but amino acids and just totally synthetic. And, you know, we were talking about this conference I went to, and it's just so disgusting how dumbed down the veterinarians are. And like I was saying, it's not even like teaching. It's like programming. Just do this. This is what's going on. Feed this diet. Don't think, don't, don't use your brain. Don't use your medical training. Just, just follow orders, follow orders. I saw a a video clip of Biden. I don't know if you saw this one, He's at. A, he was at a press press conference, and um, they were, you know, raised. They, people were raising their hands and stuff. And he's like, he said something along the lines of, "Well, I can't call on you because I'm following my orders." Like he has headphones on. Like they were telling him which people to call on. You know, that's how dumbed down or how controlled our president is. But anyways, same thing for the vets. And so people wonder why their vets are recommending what they recommend and why they push all these vaccines and they only you know recommend things like pharmaceuticals it's because they're being programmed to do it and it is like it's like brainwashing and who sponsors like i went to i said in on a nutrition lecture well the speaker worked for prina so what's he gonna sell you know not raw food (laughs) gonna be selling the Prina diets, and not just any diet, but the really expensive ones, because then they make more money and then the vets can make more money.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, but you it's know, bad. The, the general public thinks this, well, if raw was good, my vet would be recommending it. I mean, yeah. that's really what they do believe. And I wish that all of our pet parents had the opportunity to go into a conference like what you just went to, because I think you would run screaming out the door. It, it's yeah. so frightening. I mean, it's so frightening, Dr. Jason, when you think, all right, <clears throat> there are people that have an agenda that want things sold. So I always think of it like this, when, you know, those of us that are really trying to help dogs and cats be healthy are making some inroads, right? And, and like you and I were saying, we're still a tiny, tiny fraction. Of the population uh, of pet food. But the best way is to all your soldiers, all your soldiers that are graduating every year, come out with a new product, right? Come out with this new product and they are the salespeople. What a brilliant model. Yeah,
0: they start at the vet schools because these companies, these big corporate, and it's really just like probably one giant corporate conglomerate now, you know, all these Mm -hmm. different food companies. I mean, there's only really a, a couple of big corporations that own all these companies, including the corporate veterinary clinics like Mars owns, they own vet clinics. They own like VCA, I think in Blue Pearl and Banfield. And I think they own like Royal Canin, they own the food companies and they're tied into the pharmaceutical companies. So it's just all one big conglomerate. So, and they're so big that they actually provide funding to the vet schools for research, which the universities need and want. And in exchange, they train the veterinary students to sell their products. So yeah, it's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant marketing. And what it means is that the vets are just, just brainwashed to sell this stuff, to sell the pharmaceuticals, to sell these foods, to push vaccines. And you know what? And then it makes them even more money because the pets stay sick. So not only do they make money selling the vaccines and these diets, getting them started on that, but then they have these chronic illnesses. So then they're on things like Apoquel and Cytopoint and and then they're treating them with chemotherapy because at some point they get cancer. So it's totally a a money-making scheme and that may sound Sound harsh, but, you know, some of the other evils we were talking about going on in the world. I mean, this isn't hard to believe when if you consider what's some of the real evil stuff going on in the world. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. This is just a big money making corporate agenda. That's not it's not hard at all for me to get my head around anymore.
1: Right. So. When you were there at the conference, did they present any real scientific evidence behind their statements that they were making on um, on the stuff that they were pushing?
0: Well, they always have i mean they always cite research because you know that's the hallmark you know it has to be evidence based, and you know you have to have um, research behind it. but then who's funding the research so if we're looking at a product by Perina and Perina's funding the research well yeah no conflict of interest there right so i think it's they do present research but um now and i didn't take time to look into all of it but i know that that's that that's what happens that the research is often invalid and they and they fudge numbers i mean they like you know so a company wants to do research. And I can remember being in vet school, you know, and there was Mm -hmm. research projects going on all the time, funded by these companies. Well, do you think they want the outcome to be this medication or this food is not safe, or it doesn't do what we're supposed to, it's supposed to do? No. Do you think they're going to pay the university more to get that outcome that they want? You bet they do. And that's exactly what happens. So like they have data that doesn't quite fit the the outcome that just that just throw those out. They literally do that. They throw out the data, or you know, they have an unexplained reaction or something. Well, that's just a one-off. We'll just eliminate that data so that they end up with the data pool that gives them the outcome that they want. And that's unfortunately how most research is done. But it never gets questioned. As long as there's a research article, there's a something in a paper, something that got published in a magazine, then it's it's valid in the mind of most conventional vets.
1: Well, I think that that is easier to uh, get through to pet parents today than it's ever been because we've seen that on the human side. Certainly, in this la- year, we've seen the evidence that shows that evidence that the narrative was skewed to meet a certain agenda, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that maybe prior to Flovid, as I like to call it, uh, then a lot of people didn't see it. And we were just kind of humming along. The mm-hmm. the problem is I, I think that things have been this way for a long time. It's just not been revealed. And so all of a sudden we're like, Wow, this world's in this crazy tail span. I think it's been like this for a long yeah. time. It doesn't get like that overnight.
0: Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, it's just become way more blatantly obvious. And I think they're becoming more blatant about it. Like they're not hiding it as much. Like, well, there's wait, if,
1: if so there's no consequence, against. if there's no consequence, Dr. JC, to right. an action or, or you're protected in some way, like the informed consent
0: mm-hmm.
1: rate, Um, or the... Um, Lack of informed consent, which you and I talked about this on another podcast about why they, I almost, you know, when you were talking about that this trust, this sort of insurance trust that covers the vets had Mm -hmm. come out and said, Hey, you got to do the informed consent. And the only reason that they would do that is either to cover their rear ends, cover their own sphincter, the CYS, cover the sphincter, or, uh, (laughs) or the, uh, or they are getting, people that are pushing back. I tend to think it's more covering their rear ends because I just don't see that many pet parents pushing back. I wish I did. You know, yeah. I I do think that some do um but not enough.
0: Yeah. Well, there was I did get I don't remember if I sent this one to you. I got another email from them where they actually so the liability trust, they send out examples of claims like you know, Dr. X was, you know, this happened at the clinic and they were sued and blah, blah, blah. And there was an actual case. It was the veterinarian did a vaccine without the owner. Actually, I think the owner had specifically asked them not to give it and they gave it anyway. Oh. And they did file the people filed a complaint. And I mean, of course, nothing really happened except that, And you know, the sad thing is the pet still got that shot and, is going to suffer the consequences, but it at least brought it to the attention of the veterinarian and they were, you know, advised to change their practices and, and how they, you know, process clients. So that was one anyway, that got, that got reported. I agree. I think it has to happen. I think it's the only thing that's going to change things is if more and more people start doing that, but it takes, it's going to take a lot of them. It's going to take enough people like one or two walking into a clinic And and pushing back, like clinics are so busy these days, they're just very happy to have those annoying clients go away. Um, But if enough of them did, where they're like, okay, we're looking at losing thirty percent of our business or something, then they they'd take notice. So it's going to take a lot of people to make a difference.
1: Well, you owned a clinic, and the question is, who at a clinic is that person that is saying, regardless of what the pet parent says? If the dog is due for a vaccine, you go ahead and shoot him up. Who, I mean, yeah, is well. it the, uh, the owner of the clinic and that's it? That's the person who gets to make that decision?
0: Oh, well, sure. They're the ones setting the policies. You know, I, I don't think the staff, um, you know, the technicians or the receptionist or any of them are, you know, they're not making those decisions on their own. The policies are set by the owner, but if they say... You know, to the techs, you know, okay, any dog that comes in here, if they're overdue, go ahead and vaccinate them. I mean, they could do that, and the techs might not even check in every time. They just say, well, this is our policy. So look, look at the records. Looks like they're past due. And then they just, you know, go ahead and go ahead and update them.
1: Do you think that they they would do that and not even tell the pet parents? I mean, like, all right, this pet parent is animately against animately against you know vaccinations and it is our policy that we vaccinate every dog so let's just go ahead and vaccinate them we'll update the records we're not going to tell the pet parents you think they do that
0: uh it wouldn't surprise me
1: i would i would i don't know what i would do
0: i, I do
1: know what i would do but i can't say it here in public
0: you better leave your gun at home you those those uh, if you get into uh into those circumstances yeah, i wouldn't I, it wouldn't surprise me or done um, like by error. Like in this case that I told you about where this client actually complained, the The doctor certainly wasn't aware that the client didn't didn't want the shot. Come on. Um, it's their policy. And probably what happens is it's their policy and probably maybe doesn't get fully communicated that the client doesn't want it. And then it's just done anyway. And then they realize, oh, whoops, they didn't want that. Well, let's just not tell And they may not even report it, so the pet could get sick from the shot because they did it because that's their policy. Oh, the client didn't want that. We'll just not put that on the record. I, I, I'd almost, I bet anything that kind of stuff goes on. Why wouldn't it? I mean,
1: well, look at, um, you know, all of these hearings that go on at in the Senate hearing and congressional hearings, and not what is the one thing that is used over and over and over again? Oh, I, I'm not aware of that. Yeah. I'm not aware of that. I'm not aware of that. Really? Are you just totally unconscious?
0: Yes. <laughs> it's your job to be aware of it. In like the case of the veterinarian, it's their job to be right. Plus they are supposed to be providing informed, informed consent. I'm, I'm going to, I'm getting ready to write one of my future, um, Substacks is I have a picture um, because I have some um, rabies vaccines from when I had my clinic and on the package insert, it actually says that it's been shown to cause fibrosarcomas in cats. So it says right there, it's a known carcinogen, but, oh, let's just give it in the tail because we can amputate the tail if they get one there. That's the, that's the latest recommendation. We just give it in the tail. Or in the lower limb. Because you can just take the leg. They
1: can live without a leg. They, you know, they got four. Missing one, no big deal. Right? Yeah. All right. What's the Substack link again so we can give that to folks? It is judyjasekdvm.substack.com. Nice. Nice. And I'm
0: going to be doing a series on um, like some different diseases. I got a new post out there on diagnostic testing. like. hmm kind of what does it really mean? And being careful about how how things are, you know, interpreted and all that. But I'm going to go into some actual um, disease, common disease conditions that I think are being inappropriately diagnosed, such as pancreatitis, kidney disease, things like this, like, I have so many people that'll come to me and say, Oh, my husband diagnosed with like stage two kidney disease. And I look at their labs, I'm like, but the blood works normal. Like, You know, maybe a little at the high end. How's the pet acting? Perfectly fine. Any symptoms? No. Stage two kidney disease. Well, what does that mean? Prescription diet. So we're selling that prescription diet and then, you know, other supplements and whatever else they want to, you know, they want to sell. But it's like, it's not, they're not even diagnosing properly. You know, any pet that vomits these days will get a, a diagnosis of pancreatitis, and then, oh, then we have to, you know, can't eat fat, got to have a, you know, special diet for the rest of their life. And that's another thing. Like, how many times do dogs vomit? I mean, Max vomits, he eats everything. I mean, like, I'm not surprised when he throws up. I can't believe he doesn't throw up more <laughs> stuff he eats. It's like, you know, and he eats his vomit and <laughs> goes on with the day, you know, it's like, it's just... It's just no big deal, but these pets, any little bit of digestive upset, and they're and they're being di- diagnosed with pancreatitis. And why? Because conventional vets, they can't think, they can't treat the patient because of their training and their brainwashing or programming. They can't, they unless they have a number, unless they have a diagnosis and a name, they don't even really treat the patient. They're treating the name. So if they can't name something, they, they can't look at the patient and say, well, this dog, you know, is um, vomited a few times, but it's a four month old puppy and it's out eating stones and twigs and pine cones and mice and toads and all this stuff. So maybe that's why it vomited. You know, nope, they've got to do all this testing so that they can come up with a name because then that name goes into an algorithm where they have a, a you know, treatment protocol that then they can use. That's That's really the way... It's done. And, I, and I'm trying to make people aware of this. Like, look at your pet. If your pet vomited a couple of times, but is now like acting okay, it's in have pancreatitis. Pancreatitis is really, really, really severe. I mean, they act really, really sick when they have pancreatitis.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. I, I hear that all the time. Uh, do you have a low fat blend? How low would you like to go? Yeah, <laughs> how low would you like to go? Which is another substack that you just did fat friend or foe, right? Oh yeah. Yes. Get really confused about that as well. And, yeah. and you know, like for instance, I, I got, uh, there was a, a question from Stacy from Iowa who said, do you have a recommendation for dogs with kidney disease? Now yeah. it is no. very, what does she say? It is very, Early onset, so very low numbers. And you and I would say, what does that mean? Yeah, the pet probably is fine. And uh, so do I have a recommendation? I do. No processed foods, no processed treats, and no prescription foods.
0: Right. And avoid vaccines and other pharmaceuticals. Because what do the kidneys do? The kidneys are one of the detoxifying organs. It's the same like when the liver enzymes go up. That's another one I need to write on the the liver enzymes. To me, that's a sign that, especially if the pet's still acting pretty good, that liver is working really hard because when it works really hard, we'll see those levels go up. Well, what does the liver do? It detoxifies. So maybe we need to look at what is poisoning that pet and start with the diet and vaccines and all these other things that we talk Well, the kidneys too, they're an organ of elimination. So if the pet's getting a bunch of toxic things in its, in its routine, then that could raise those kidney values because the kidneys are having to work harder, you know, and the more we clean up the routine and reduce the inflammation, um, there, these values oftentimes will improve, and they're not static. That's what makes me nuts. Is when the like pets, you know, people are told like okay, based on this one blood panel, your pet needs to be on this prescription diet for the rest of its life. Well, these these values are transient. Blood work's just a snapshot, and especially liver and kidney values, that fluctuate all the time. So. My approach is you make some changes. You make sure we're reducing inflammation in the pet and then recheck those values and see, are they, are they going up? Are they going down? Are they staying the same? Um, it's not just this, okay, there's your diagnosis for the rest of the pet's life. And then, you know, again, they'll end up treating a whole a whole host of other things. Cause the pets are going to be on these God awful prescription diets.
1: Yeah. Here's a question from Heidi. Heidi uh, is from Boise, Idaho. And she says, uh, I need help with my chihuahuas. You know, chihuahuas really wow. well, Dr. Jason. I she said you. they have allergy problems and they're on Apoquil. Now that's mm. the only information we got. And uh, so our response is going to be the same back to Heidi. It says, have you already removed all the processed or prescription foods? You know, are you doing flea and tick heartworm vaccines? What treats are you currently giving? I can't tell you how many crappy treats. If whenever I go into the grocery store, it just pains me to walk down the pet food aisle. Oh, no. I, it, it is. It is. I want to say the the thing that it should say above the aisle is allergy section, yeah. itchy skin <laughs> section. You got you right. You want your dog to be vomiting, loose poops, allergies, and itchy skins? Come on down this aisle, folks. They should just have a vet at the end of the aisle on the end cap selling Apoquel. Well, I mean, they should, they would be get,
0: rich. Get it over with. That's right. right. Pick up your bag of kibble and get your prescription Apple Quill and you're good to go. Right. Just kidding See? people. But <laughs> but that's about what you're setting your pet up for. It's so a I, lifetime of allergies.
1: I, I, and, and, and then people also get these ideas, Dr. Jasek, that I, they just get these ideas, uh, I think, from the human side. So one of my sweet customers said, my dog has a sour stomach. He just, he has a sour stomach. And I said, well, what does this mean that you, that your dog has a sour stomach? Well, they're, you know, doing this yellow foamy thing in the mornings. And I said, well, I don't, I, I wouldn't probably call that a sour stomach as much as I would call it. Pablo's law that goes ding, 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 I'm getting ready to eat, in comes the acid, the digestive juices, there's nothing to take out, irritates the stomach, and out comes some foamy, you know, juice, yellow mm-hmm. foamy juice. I'm just like, before we decide that it's one thing, let's try something else. Let's just give, Um, and, and you know, I always look at how much time there is between their last feeding at night, when they're getting up in the morning, and I just say, hey, let's try this give them a meatball size of food of the raw food Mm -hmm. so that maybe there's more or there is something to take out in the morning. And usually that fixes it. But if you say in your mind, my dog has a sour stomach, that means that they can't eat certain foods. And it's really when it's not the food at all. It's the acid. Mm
0: Right, right 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 or other things that they're doing. is a lot of times because that's a very common thing that I hear as well and a lot of times i think there's other things that they're giving like treats or you know these you know they um like the flea oral flea and tick preventatives and all that stuff that mm-hmm. are messing up the digestion Uh, Because I think on really healthy digestion, a carnivore should be able to go long periods of time, you know, in between eating. Now, you know, to your point, they do get conditioned like, oh, my tummy clock says it's time for breakfast, you know, (laughs) because they do get, they do get used to that. But oftentimes I also find that there's something else in the routine that's, that's throwing, you know, throwing the digestion off because a carnivore in the wild, they might have a kill and they may not eat for three days. Are wolves puking every morning that they don't eat? I don't
1: know. Kind of doubt it, but <laughs> that's why I, I, you know, a lot of people do have their dogs on an actual schedule, right? And I really think that if you, if they never knew when they were going to eat, they're like, well, sometimes mm-hmm. I eat at two, sometimes I eat at five, sometimes I don't eat at all. Uh, some, you know what I mean. That 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 would be uh more like the wild. I know it's difficult for pet parents. I'm included in that. As soon as I walk downstairs, my girls get up and they're like, yes, it is breakfast time. Let the barking begin.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Right. And and yet if I leave, that stops. They do not do that to Rick.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Because he's like, you've taught him that. You deal with it. You know, so I was at the warehouse yesterday and I left early and I said, listen, um, You feed the dogs, that and they don't do that. And sometimes I've come home and I said, "You feed the dogs." They nope, forgot. And I'm like, and they didn't bug you? No, (laughs) they know they. There's you know they're smart. They know who they can work and who they can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, I think sometimes it'd be better not to do not to do a schedule, and maybe that would stop as well. But um, you know, back to the mindset again, we as pet parents are constantly putting our human thoughts, conditions, um diagnoses on our dogs and the majority of the time you guys they're incorrect.
0: Yeah, it's anthropomorphizing, making them they're not humans in dog suits.
1: <laughs> right,
0: right. <laughs> they're, um, they're they're carnivores. Yeah, they're they're dogs. It's just like <laughs> I wouldn't be caught dead outside chewing on a bunny butt, but Next us thought that was delicious,
1: yeah, so what what is the thing, Dr. Jasek? There's a lot of people that they're like, "Oh, remember a couple of years ago rabbits, supposedly out in the wild, had some sort of disease, so they were really uh, worried about all of that. Do you know anything about that? Um,
0: I think probably was like Tularemia, I think that's a real common rabbit disease, but you know i I think it's like anything else, animals in the wild. I mean the thing what causes disease in populations is usually concentration, like where animals are <clears throat> grouped together or they're um they're outgrowing their resources, so to speak. So they get it's just like if you put animals in a in a feedlot, and like our food production animals, they have to pump them full of antibiotics and all these medications because they're just constantly sick because they're concentrated. And so right. I think in the wild, same thing happens rabbit population in the city, w- who's controlling the the rabbits, like, they don't, you know, they're, they're usually not enough, like coyotes and foxes in the city to take them down. And they just live in around the houses and their populations can just get out of control. And anytime a population gets out of control, you're going to have more disease. So that is a, you know, that's a natural thing. So that's going to show up. But the other question is, you know, a lot of diseases are very species specific. So are those things really going to transmit to, you know, to pets? I think in most cases, the the answer is no, it, it just, it, it isn't. I mean, otherwise all all of our carnivores would be dropping dead from eating sick bunnies. Like I see that happening, you know Um, they can eat roadkill and disease stuff. And I mean, Max was carrying around a, a flat, desiccated old toad the other day. <laughs> it just finds everything. Do I worry about the bacteria on that? Nope. I like. Wow, that dog's going to have the strongest immune system ever because it's being exposed to to all kinds of stuff. I think just we've just been conditioned to worry way, way, way too much um, about this stuff. But in a in a natural environment, um, where wildlife populations are controlled naturally and there's natural selection and natural pressures, um, you're not going to have that much disease. But in the city, yeah, sure. there's probably more risk of that.
1: Of course. But, you know, we won't wait long enough to see if something is true or not. We just jump in there. Meaning, you know, Dr. Cowan was saying that most people will not wait long enough to see if an abscess is going to open on its own. Right. right. Um and yep he sa- he said, you know, he was talking about his cat who had this mm-hmm. um um you know big abscess. I think it was in his ear. And he mm-hmm. said, I didn't know whether he was gonna go away and die and I'd never see him again. He said, but you know, after a while the body poked a hole and it drained out and he's now perfect. Right. right? But if he if he would have taken the traditional route of poking the hole, uh, putting them on antibiotics and all this kind of stuff, he said it wouldn't have cleaned naturally, right? Because that bacteria is going to come in. There's bacteria in there. There's pus in there. Eating the dead and dying debris, doing its job. And then the traditional way is to put them on antibiotics and uh, take all that away, take the cleaning crew out. Right. So I, I wonder what happens to all that junk, Dr. Jasic. the junk that the bacteria cleans out, right? What happens when you put an animal on an antibiotic? Where's all that junk go? Yeah, stays in the body, makes the
0: body toxic and, and more and more inflamed. You know, it, it needs to come out. I remember I saw a case once a couple of years ago, German shepherd had a big swelling. I could tell it was a big abscess. And I told the owner owner was quite holistic. And I said, you know, I would just go home, hot pack it. Um, and, you know, try to allow nature to, to take its course. The dog was acting okay. just had the swelling. It was obviously fluid filled and the new thing. And, and well, it got bigger, and it was like a weekend, and she got worried, and she took the dog into the ER. And I remember reading the report, and it very kind of snarkily said that the um, you know referring they re- you know the clinic the last clinic they've been to usually referred as a referring that vet- referring veterinarian did not do antibiotics, so they of course put the dog on antibiotics, and the dog still didn't get better until it broke open, and a foxtail came out. So the dog did not have an antibiotic deficiency. Mm-hmm. It just needed more time for nature to, to take its course. But they said, I mean, I could tell by the way the records were written They're like crazy holistic that didn't even use antibiotics because it would have healed on own, And it probably took longer to heal because the antibiotics slow down that process because it takes a while for all those bacteria to get in there and they eat up all those toxins. And then Got to let it let it flush out, and they will. They'll heal on their own, but you got to give it time. It's like we're also, you know, I think our culture is conditioned to be instant gratification. Well, I need it needs to be fixed now because I can't stand the fact that my dog is not, you know, not perfect, and it's got this
1: thing. And what if I, I don't know? It goes septic or something. Oh, the old septic one. Yes, <laughs> my my team—they listen to the podcast. They're like, "Man, you just you, that really upset you on that whole septic thing." I said, "Well, it did because there was nothing to back it up, right? right. If if you want to back it up and and give me the steps, right, or educate your customers via the steps that says." Uh, this is how, what condition the dog was in. And then the dog ate raw. And this is how it became septic from eating the food it was created to eat. Mm -hmm. I mean, just give me the steps. Don't act like it's top secret information that, oh my goodness, what a horrible person that I'm asking for real results. I'm asking for real steps. I'm asking because maybe I'm wrong. I doubt it, but I, I, but yeah, asking for the mechanism, like, how does that happen? Tell
0: me, talk me through that because people don't, they just say, well, the vet said it's this, and now we got this name and now that we got a name, we can treat. And what are we going to blame? Oh, I, I don't know. Let's blame the raw food because that's probably what, you know, well, they don't know what, they don't know what caused it. Truthfully, they don't even know what's probably going on with the dog. They just name it sepsis and say it's because of the raw food and then their job's done and they can go on to the next patient. Right. As soon as they can name something they're done because there's a little algorithm for how to treat it. And if they're eating raw, that's an extra bonus because they got something to blame it on.
1: Yeah, I mean, boy, we are, we are the whipping post um, for a lot of the issues. So again, I'm going to say this, toxins or just food? <laughs> Pharmaceuticals or just food? Wh- which one of those do you think might be the actual culprit? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Somehow we've taken the skull and crossbones off of a lot of toxic materials. And because of the marketing on TV, put a lot of happy people dancing around at a party uh, on that product. Right. We're like, oh, no, those are totally safe. Haven't you seen the commercials? They're all out there having a barbecue and having a good time. While they're reading, your tongue could go uh, fall off and, you know. Your head turn around backwards, but that's okay because you're gonna <laughs> have fun at this party. That's right,
0: right? Or on the the food commercials, it's always the it's always the golden rich. Ret- I don't know why they golden retrievers running through the field of daisies eating their pedigree. You know, um, so they're that's like the vision of health, and it's because of this. That's the inference is that well, it's because of this food, this food that they're eating. That's why they're so healthy and so robust and all that.
1: Yeah, it's so crazy well um yeah very crazy if you don't want to be crazy anymore you want to get um some sanity back to your pet's life and your pet's health i think you want to work with dr judy jacek you know you do even though she's going to zoom with you um this is a great way to not be so confused and i think when you're not confused you won't make the mistakes that we see people making over and over and over again. It's just fear that's driving you. You're afraid to not do something because if you don't do something, then you could harm your dog. When in reality, I will say that we see um that's the opposite. So yeah. and, um,
0: and seriously you guys, check out my Substack. I'm really trying to get a lot of information out there. So if you don't want to schedule a consult, you can Go there, and you'll, you're going to get a lot of good information. What I think is good information that's going to help you navigate the world of conventional veterinary medicine. And if you're armed with knowledge, like Didi was saying, you're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna be better informed, and you're gonna know how to handle. It. You're gonna know how to ask questions. You're gonna have more um, foundational information. So when you go into the vet, you're not just gonna have to just believe what they say because you don't know any different. This is going to help you know the other side of the story and know some different things that you can come back and you can question them
1: on. Yeah. And get signed up on Dr. Jasic Substack. Um, would you mind, I'm going to write it down this time when you say it, Dr. Jasic. Give us the Substack link again.
0: It's judyjacekdvm.substack.com.
1: Okay. dot Judy Substack.com. Mm-hmm. wow, I did it. Substack.com. Okay. Judy dot com. I'll be able Got to it. say that in, in no time. Okay. <laughs> Good practice. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So get over there. Get uh get if you if, if, look, if your dog has chronic itching, if you have uh, these these kidney values that are worrying you let Dr. JC take a look at those first and give you a different perspective. What you do with that is up to you but um, one thing that you know we look at today is who is beholden to who right mm-hmm. so if if you're going to a clinic, that clinic is beholden to whoever owns that clinic and that owner of that clinic has a profit uh, plan.
0: And sometimes the owner is a corporation, you know, your average, right. like your v- VCA clinic, they're corporately owned. So those vets in those clinics, even the veterinarians, they they can only sell certain products and they have quotas to meet. They literally, they have to see a certain number of people. They have to bring in a certain amount of money. They have to sell a certain amount of product and, and, or they could lose their job and they get bonuses for selling certain things. So the more of these things that they push. They're actually making money on the backside. And that's coming down from some CEO in a in a corporate office that knows nothing about pet health. They are only looking at the bottom line. And they're like, wow, look at these vaccines. It's like a, you know, a 300% or 3000% markup. It's huge yeah. markup and look at all the money we can make. We need to do more of these. That's all they're looking at. They don't know anything about pet health. They're not interested in your pet's health. They're just interested in the bottom line. And it's that corporate executive
1: making those decisions
0: that dictate what goes on in the clinic.
1: Right. Hard to believe happening though. (laughs) So It's, uh, it's It's a fact. It is a fact. F A C C T. All right, everybody get over to Dr. Judy Jasek site, which is A H A vet.com. A H A vet.com. Get your dog on a species appropriate diet. You've got to get them off the processed food, off the prescription food, off the processed treats. We can help go over to raw dog food and where your pet's health is our business and friends don't let friends feed kibble. We'll see you next week. Dr. Jasek.
0: All right. Bye, everybody. Oh, snap.
1: Find out how you can start your dog on the road to health and longevity. Go to rawdonfoodandcompany.com, where friends don't let friends feed kibble and where your pet's health is our business. Snap.